team members also want to know that yes, they're here to do a job. Absolutely. They want to, but they want to know that they're trusted, that you understand that they are an adult. I keep saying that over and over again, because it really it is, is important. Yes. <laughs> and so that goes back to, I think I talked a little bit before about and when we were talking about if someone is being separated from the company, allowing them to retain their dignity. That's part of that being an adult thing. You have to really understand that you're not here to belittle someone or make them feel badly about who they are they are. They are working with you and you're here to help them do their best work. And if that's not happening for some reason, one reason or another, then again, figure out what the problem is, attack the problem, but don't attack the person. So, and that also is part of culture, by the way. It's not that, oh, we never have any problems. La, la, la. Everything is fabulous all the time. It's when things come up, when issues arise, how do we deal with them? Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. I'm Adam Moore, joined today by Matt Colicello, who's in for Chloe Goodry-Reed. As part of our series geared towards empowering small and diverse business owners to take their businesses to the next level, we're happy to welcome back a guest that you all are already familiar with, Ms. Vicki Brown, CEO of Indomnio Enterprises, a seasoned HR professional. Last time Vicki was on our show... She discussed the essentials of hiring and firing. Well, this time, Vicky's going to help us walk through everything in between the hiring and firing process, otherwise known as employment. The foundations of HR that every small and diverse business owner should be aware of when formulating their HR practices. Vicky, it is truly a pleasure to have you back on the show today. So glad to have you join us. Love your energy and really, really excited to dive into this topic. No, oh, right, because we don't often think about what is my employee's experience while they're working with us. And I had an old boss of mine one time tell me they're like, you have to like the people that you're working with because you're ultimately going to spend more time with them than your spouse or whoever, whoever you are with, your partner, or your best friend. I don't know in today's now hybrid age, if that still stands true, but we are going to interface with them. At least that much, if not more. So a very, very relevant topic today. So welcome to the show, Vicki. Thank you. It is a thrill to be back. Had such a great time last time. So I really, really appreciate that you asked me back. I'm, I'm happy to be back. You're absolutely right. We spend a lot of time with our colleagues. So even in this day of kind of remote working and things like that, you're still interfacing and building interpersonal relationships and being impacted by those people that you work with. So it is important that the culture is is in place and is good. And it's even more important these days with people being so dispersed. Yeah, that's a great, great point. So before we kind of jump right into that topic, reintroduce yourself to our audience. I'm sure some people, this is going to be their second time hearing from you. This is going to be some people's first time listening to you. But walk us through that journey of yours again to becoming an HR professional and then your experience kind of starting your own business, right? It's such a great story. I don't think we can hear it enough, to be honest with you. So, 
Well, my team will be very depressed to hear that because they hear it a lot. <laughs> They're um, like, oh, no, work for her. We hear it plenty. Thank you. Like, Mom, stop telling that story. We don't care how you met dad. Oh, exactly. Lord. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So I've been actually next week is our 22nd anniversary. Is so that, well, congratulations on that. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. That's insane. Since I'm only 23, it's amazing. I mean, <laughs> to start a business before when your I'm first one. birthday is amazing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But so been in HR even longer than that. And just to put that startup story in a little nutshell, I was working for someone who was fantastic. That company ceased to exist. He suggested I start my own. I said, what a great idea for someone else, no, not me, and went about looking for a job. He then got a new role as a CEO of a new company and brought me in just to help out, do some HR functions for him, help get his organization set up really as a, an outside contractor. And he kept adding duties and adding duties. And pretty soon I was like, okay, corporate veil time. And <laughs> I ended up incorporating and he was our first client. And that was 22 years ago. So the takeaway that I always have from that story is other people, you really have to pay attention to other people because they very often will see something in you that is either normal to you and seems kind of really average or that you don't recognize yourself. So you really have to, it's wonderful to have people around you who see your potential and will kind of push the little bird out of the nest. And, and I try to do that for other people. The power of, of co-conspirators, as they say, and the, <laughs> exactly. and, the mentors, and the mentors, right? We talk about on the show quite a bit. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're big believers in mentorships on this show, so. You really have to. You have to lend a hand to those who are coming along behind you. I like to think I'm going to live forever and be in this role forever, but the reality you is are, there is are. another generation. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, but there is another generation, many generations actually, coming behind. And if I'm not giving them the benefit of what I know and also taking in the benefit of what they know because different perspectives, new opportunities, new experiences, that's how you get, that's how you turn a good company great. It I goes both ways. Completely yeah. agree. I love that expression, right? Steel, sharp, and steel. So I totally agree with that. Exactly. So the last time you were on the show, we talked about hiring and firing, the kind of bookends of of an experience. Not that all, not that all careers end or 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 time at a company ends in firing, but we talked kind of bookends. And in this episode, we wanted to talk to you more about what happens in between those bookends. How do you create culture, et cetera, as Adam said in the introduction? So maybe just to start, let's talk about the basics of HR policies that kind of create an employee's experience while they're at a company. Sure. The first thing, it's it's that old th that old adage you've been told, put your best foot forward. So it's that first impression. As an organization, you want people who are coming into your company to go, wow, I work. I just started my new job and they are amazing. That's the kind of feedback you want them giving their friends and colleagues. In order to do that, that means that you really need to be specific in your mind and in actuality around what you want that 
onboarding experience to look like. You cannot just wing it. You can just wing it, but it will seem that way to the new employee. It will be scattershot. It will be incomplete. It will seem very off the cuff and not organized. That's not the first impression you want to make on a new employee because you don't want them to be off the cuff and unorganized. So you want to make sure that you're saying, we are an environment of excellence. We strive for it. And so that's kind of, that's how we do what we do. That's our vibe, if you will. So it's important to have a, I personally think it's important to have a structured onboarding process. And as much of that, because I'm kind of a technology geek, so we've actually taken our onboarding process. We, When someone starts, we have some in-person time with them, obviously, to say hello and show them around the building and uh, go through some of the really, really high points of working here. And then we've actually put our onboarding process into a course on our online university. So not only does everyone get all the information and all the same information, but it remains available to them throughout their tenure at the company. So they can always use it as a reference and refer back. How, you know, what's, what's that part of the tech stack again? And how do they use it? And what are the rules around this? All of that is in the course, and we don't expect them to go through it in two hours the first day that they start. We, we really, the onboarding process should be, should be an evolutionary process. You should take your time, let the, the person take their time, expose them to different people, different departments, different experiences, have a class of new hires and let them get to know one another, like everyone who's hired in the same month or the same quarter. And then have lunch and learns, have the CEO come in and, and do a little talk, have someone from sales come in and do a little presentation. It's important to build those relationships across departments. Now, I know that for most of us who are small business owners and entrepreneurs that we're going to say departments, what departments? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm a department. Bob's a department. Sally's exactly. a department. Yeah, exactly. My right hand is a department. My left hand is a department. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So I totally get that. But you do have various functions inside your organization. And if you know it or not, you probably have entrusted various functions to various people. So while you may not be formally calling it a department, it is a function. And you want to make sure that people who are coming into the organization know what you do across the entire organization. So I think that that I know I'm going on and on about the onboarding process, but I think that's an important piece. Well, it tees it up. Right. Absolutely. It tees up the success. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And right alongside that, you need to have a plan for this person. How do you develop them? What kind of training? Have a standardized training process, actually. So some courses that or education opportunities, even if it's mentoring or shadowing someone else in a different department, formalize that. Don't just and I'm guilty of this, particularly in the early years at Edomineo, I would just, I would go, it's a really good idea. Why don't we have Sally sit with John for a while? That's a really good idea. Well, that's great, but John's not prepared to have Sally sit with him. And Sally's not sure what she's going to be learning. And we don't know how long it's going to last. And we don't know how Sally's going to free up her time to sit with John because I hadn't formalized it. I just had a quote unquote, great idea. So it is important to write these down, these things down, have a formalized process for development for that individual. I actually had a coach once who ran a, she actually owned a restaurant that had a number of locations. And every time they hired someone all the way from front 
front of house staff all the way to the dishwashers. They would sit down with them and actually put together a career roadmap. What do you want to do? What ultimately are you looking to do? And maybe it wouldn't come to fruition or maybe they had no idea. They'd check in with them every year or so. But that shows, that does a bunch of things. First of all, it gives you clarity around what the expectations are from the, from the new hire. But it also shows them that you care about them as a human being and you care about their development. And that is really, really, really important. And that dovetails into setting the culture. Because all of those early steps are things that point toward who you are, how you do what you do, what your expectations are, meaning what the culture of the organization is. So I think it's really important to put some real brain power behind those things. Yeah, I really like that. But I think that that level of intentionality is is missing, not just at the small business level, but you don't see that sometimes even at the Fortune 500 level, right? They do a great job of like, here's day one and day two is like, oh, you're still here, right? <laughs> I mean, it's exactly. It's really almost kind of that stark. It's 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 something like that. But I really like that idea of building up the company culture, having the formalized training, bringing them on board slowly, because I know, and even when we're starting to talk about promotions, having a similar onboarding experience, right? I think we feel like, oh, well, Sally's been here for three years and she worked for Bob, whose position she just took. So why do I need to onboard her? she does not know that they're drinking out of a fire hose and they have no idea what is going on. Right. And, and that is, that is great stuff. But what I'm hearing from you is taking our HR policies seriously. Right. I think a lot of people go into starting a business and then it grows. Right. And then they're like, Oh my goodness, I've gone from myself and my wife and our, our neighbor to now 20 people, right? And we're pretty much all strangers. And then it's like, oh, we probably should have some policies around who we're hiring, what are we doing? And it's usually something has happened, like you're having to let somebody go that you're like, oh, we don't have a policy that covers that. And you're a little bit in kind of the cut and cover mode. And on this show, they hear myself and Matt and Chloe and our other guests talk about you need to have a business plan and you need to have a roadmap and you need to understand this. You need to know that we give them uh, the amount of, of stuff that we give them as homework, as I like to say, is kind of daunting. Right. And now we're saying, oh, and by the way, your HR policy needs to be there. But in your opinion, though, Vicky, so it, when you go and you help work with other firms, right, to do just this, right, we're in this situation, I've come to you and said, I think I have a problem. You're going to go, yes, you do. But when ultimately, if you could take a brand new business owner who just got their LLC in the mail aside and say, okay, you've got a lot to do, HR policy, where would you highly recommend putting that, even if it's, even if you're a solo opportunity, but you're going to grow, where do you put formalizing HR policy in that maturation timeline? The reality is, if you have one person working for you, even if it's a relative, if you have one person and that's working where for people you, start to really get in trouble. Yeah, exactly. Because we all start out by pulling in the talent that's closest to us that hopefully will work for very little. And, <laughs> and so, and there's a challenge with that too, but we right. can get into that later. Right. Oh, it makes Thanksgiving dinner so much fun. <laughs> exactly. 
But aside from that piece, and that's kind of a personal development, (laughs) a personal development challenge. But aside from that piece, the reality is if you have one person working for you, you technically are an employer. And at that point, it is important to start really writing down these things. And it does a number of things. So I get all the time, handbook, why do I need a handbook? We're only three people. I don't want a handbook. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's because people are used to seeing a handbook with a gazillion pages in it. It's very corporate-y. They had it at their last corporate job. They hated it. Nobody ever looked at it. And they were told to read it. And they signed that they read it. And they never did. And all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Dirty little secret is some HR people are guilty too. But in any (laughs) event, so that's, I get all that. But first of all, you don't have to have a handbook that that sounds all corporate It can really be something that reflects the, I'll use the word again, the vibe of your organization. Also, it does a number of things, but the main, the main way that I think it's most beneficial to look at it is it is a roadmap, if you will, of how you expect colleagues to work together, how you expect them to work with the organization, your expectation of them as employees of the organization, and the things that they can expect from you as their employer. So everything goes both ways. It's not necessarily a a series of dictates from on high. It really is a document that kind of lays out some of the promises that you're making to your team members as employees and some of the promises that they're making to you. So certainly there are some compliance things that, you know, and I'm an HR person, so I'm like, I always want the handbook to be longer than (laughs) the business owner does. I'm like, oh, let's put in something about nepotism. Oh, let's put in something about family members in the workplace. Oh, let's put in. So that's me. But for business owners, there are some things that you definitely want to address, not only because it's a good idea, but also because it shows that you are aware of some of your obligations as an employer and that you adhere to those obligations. So things like anti-discrimination, anti-harassment policies. The American with Disabilities Act, addressing that. A process if someone is going to complain about discrimination or harassment. Things like a conflict of interest policy. Oddly, in California, I shouldn't say oddly, I've been here forever, nothing's odd to me anymore, but here in California, we actually do not have a prohibition against working for more than one employer, the moonlighting concept. Oh, wow. So, you really can't, California believes that what you do on your own time is your own business. So the employer really can't determine that someone can only work for them. However, if you have a conflict of interest policy that says you do have to notify us if you are holding another job so that this organization, our organization, can determine if a conflict exists. So at least you're getting notified and you don't want to not know that your head of marketing is also doing marketing for your direct competitor down the street. So that does protect you from some things like that. And again, I'm going to insert my little card here and say, I am not an attorney. I'm an HR professional. So this is not legal advice. And I always recommend that people go ahead and loop in their labor counsel, which they absolutely should have. But based on my experience, I will certainly say that a conflict of interest policy does give you a few more tools in your tool belt to be able to at least have an awareness of what's going on with your team. Something like confidentiality, something like the warning process. If 
you are having performance issues, we're going to sit down and have a conversation with you. It's a multi-tiered warning process. We'll go through the first, second, and third warning. The third warning can result in termination. Now, I will put a caveat in here and say that if you are going to do it, definitely talk to your attorney, but if you're going to have a warning process that you're going to write down in your handbook, make sure that you give yourself as much flexibility as possible. There will be times that you either will be unable or unwilling to follow all of those steps. If someone is in an extremely sensitive role in your organization, you may not have the, and the, the performance issue has a huge impact. I'm thinking a bookkeeper or an accountant in your organization, and their errors can have a significant financial impact on the business. You may not have the opportunity to take them through a full warning process like that. So it's important that you have language in there that gives you flexibility to be able to act in a reasonable business manner when you need to. And again, that's another reason you definitely don't want to just pull something from the internet, throw your name on it, or or pull a handbook from your prior company, prior giant cor- corporate company that you work for and throw the name of your company on it and call that your handbook. It's going to have policies in it that shouldn't apply to you, but now they do because it's your handbook. (laughs) And And they also, it won't really be molded to your specific needs and your organization. So it really is important to get professional support in, uh, in a handbook. But you want to say things like, this is what it means to be an employee here. You might be full-time or part. These are categories, full-time, part-time, exempt, non-exempt. And I know that can sound like a lot of kind of HR mumbo jumbo sometimes to folks, but the reality is that when you lay that out, it makes it clear to anyone who, and I hate to be a wet blanket, but it makes it clear to anyone who is saying, well, you, you don't follow the rules. You don't know what you're doing. You've laid them out very clearly. You're going to pay overtime at the appropriate time. Your job is going to be determined to be exempt or non-exempt based on your job responsibilities. So we, we as a corporate, we as an organization know these things and we are handling them correctly. So a handbook is, uh, policies are important. It can be 11 pages or it can be 81 pages. It's up to you, but you should have one. <laughs> so that's the written document, right? And, and it's a living document from when it grows with the company and it lays out, it makes very, very clear what the policies are. And then from there, there's the living culture around the living document, what, what exists in the air between the people, so to speak. And I'm wondering if we're thinking about this sort of sequence from document to then living culture, how do we as employers, especially small businesses, go from having that document to also kind of creating the living culture that their employees experience? And how is that ingrained and enforced? So If you are, depending on your size, if you have enough people where you have some people who are managing other people or even just a team lead or a supervisor or something like that, it is really important to give time and attention to those leaders. You need to train them. You can't just say, okay, you know how to do job X, and now you're going to be the manager of the people who are doing job X, because managing and doing job X are two completely different muscles. So you have to really give homage to the fact that this individual 
is doing a different job now that requires different skills. And so just like you bring in someone and train them on a new piece of technology, you really need to have an open mind around training these these leaders and team leads and supervisors on training them not only around how to motivate people, because that's really their job to motivate people to do job X, not only on how to motivate people and encourage people and correct their performance if need be and resolve conflict and all of those things, but also on how, what are the policies? Why do they exist? How come, what do you need to do when Sally comes to you and says, Mary said something to me in the ladies room the other day that was really offensive. And I think she was talking about my ethnicity and I just really didn't like it. Well, if you haven't trained your managers on what to do in that situation, by the way, it is to immediately bring that information to you because now the company has been notified of a situation and also letting them know you are now a representative of the organization. So even something as simple as someone says, oh, can you give me a LinkedIn recommendation? You're speaking for the company. You have to be very, very careful. But if you don't train your managers on that, they don't know that. Now, by the same token, if you're the manager, (laughs) if everybody reports directly into you, then it behooves you to get that knowledge as well. So you do have to go out and find out how to navigate the world of being a manager of people. And that is on the the employment compliance side, as well as the development, motivation, uh, coaching, consulting side. Yeah. And, and I think you just brought up a great part of that, and that is the coaching piece of it. We never think about coaching culture, and I think that was a very key point, and I have never thought about it that way, but I like it a lot. It's important, and there is a difference between consulting and coaching. Coaching, basically, coaching is helping you, asking the right questions, to help you come up with the right answer. Consulting is being an expert and giving you the answer. I've evaluated your situation. Do this now, which is why I enjoy being a consultant. There you go. <laughs> uh-huh. So, but there is, there definitely is a different a- difference and coaching can be extremely nuanced because you're trying to motivate and really energize that person. That means you have to know what motivates and energizes them. You have to kind of go to where they are. So, so it's, it's not. I know very often people can kind of say, I'm going to promote so-and-so and now they're over this team and they're going to do great. You really have to stop and think about the fact that there are some extra skills there that you may not, it doesn't happen all the time. People don't get training in those skills all the time, but they will be much more successful, much more fulfilled, and their team members under them will be much more successful and fulfilled if you do give them time and attention and training. Yeah. No, and I think that's wonderful. And that's part of company culture that maybe we don't think about. I, I know a lot of times when we discuss company culture, we're talking about, oh, we have an open air office and we wear pajamas and <laughs> right. I, I'm, I'm being a little irreverent on this topic, but I think you get where I'm going. You, Adam, irreverent? I know, <laughs> uh, but we don't stop to think company culture is, yeah, we don't tell jokes like that. We don't, we don't make comments like that. We don't. We don't uh, snub. We don't create clicks, right? That that is a, a whole part of that culture that we need to, as leaders, pay attention to, and 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 give serious thought about. Like, what do we stand for beyond trying to attract talent? How do we, from a humanitarian standpoint, 
promote people, essentially, right? And and allowing a person to bring their best to work. Exactly. And that's a very important part. And again, I think it goes back to your handbook, right? That helps us at least put it down in words, what we expect. It's the starter. It's the starting document. And it's there's a lot of conversation, particularly these days, around bringing your whole self to work and the employer really providing an opportunity for the team member to be a complete person. And I do just want to say that there is a balance that I think sometimes gets lost in this conversation. And that is that Yes, you absolutely want the person to bring their whole selves to work. You understand that they are fully 360-degree, well-rounded adult, by the way, human being. And so you want to address them as such. They're not your kid. They're not, it's not a team of of children. These are these are adults who have a skill set that can be grown and they have something to contribute to the organization. Now, they want to know the organization, probably, they probably want to know the organization is doing good in the world, that you're not just there solely to make money and that's it to the detriment of just having kind of a scorched earth policy. Anything else that happens doesn't matter as long as we, we get our bottom line. So most employees don't want to work for companies that are just positioned that way. But By the same token, it is important that you do communicate that the organization needs to be successful. So I am a big proponent of, I want my team members to be well-rounded. I want to hear their contributions. I want their ideas. There are so many products that we put in place that were the brainchild of someone else and bless them for it. So I want them to feel open and communicative and like there's an environment where they can bring those things forward or if something's happening that they're unhappy with, they can bring those things forward. Now, having said all of that, my kind of standard bearer is that I have to make sure that Idomineo thrives because that's how we all eat. So, so there may be some decisions that I make or some choices that I make that because they don't have all the information or they just have a different opinion or different experience or whatever it is, they may not agree with that decision. I am hoping that we're in an environment that I've, I, I've created an environment that the team, the entire team has created an environment that we can maybe not agree with the outcome, but once a decision is made, we're going to get in the boat. We're all going to row in the same direction. So I think that's an important point to to make as we're having the discussions around the individual. We also have to understand that I hate to to quote Mr. Spock, but you know the one in the many. So the one, is, yes, exactly, exactly. 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 Our forgotten national motto. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So it is important that the entire organization is successful. And you have to do that in a way that does recognize individuals. And I talked about culture a little bit earlier about I've created a culture. And I corrected myself, hopefully quickly enough, because what we all need to understand as leaders is we're not creating the culture. It's everybody who's in it. And all you can do is 
set standards. So do what you say you're going to do, have integrity, provide what you say you're going to provide. Uh, when you make a mistake, say it's your mistake. My motto is take the arrows, give the, give, uh, take the blame, give the credit. That's my thing. I think that's what a leader should do. I stand between my team and any wayward arrows that might be coming at them. That's my job. And when something goes well, it's all about them making it go well. So you have to be prepared to do that. Yep. As as I, I often go back to my military training, and we would always say tone and tenor is set from the top. Absolutely. That's exactly what it comes from. I might not, I have to so set the tone and tenor of the culture, but the culture will thrive by the way it's adopted and behaved by the employees. That's exactly right. And all of that is essential to retention. And that's something that is a really big conversation. I feel like it's been a really big conversation. We're coming out of what, what some people called the great, the great resignation. <laughs> right. um, I was going to say the great recession. I mean, I guess right. about that too. Oh my goodness. But, or moving into another one. It's hard to tell. But when we talk about retention, we know it's important. We know that culture has something to do with it, that, that experience of employees and, and leadership has, has something to do with it. Can you kind of demystify what are the keys to retention? This is right. a big one. What's really funny, the very first thing on the list of retention is, or things that retain your top performers, really is their manager. It's amazing the amount of influence that that relationship can have over how someone feels about your organization. Their manager is the one that that's the company to them. That's the one they're interfacing with most. That's the person that's probably giving them guidelines and regulations and also encouraging them and coaching them and counseling them, hopefully, and mentoring them and giving them development opportunities and helping them when they get stuck. And all the way a manager interfaces with their team members that is the impression of the organization that the team member has. You can have the same organization, an awful manager and a really great manager, and the team members underneath them will have completely different impressions of the company. So it, I can't stress enough how important it is that you support those line managers and give them as much training and development as you possibly can. And then just, so that's the ever, kind of the everyday experience. And I think that team members also want to know that, yes, they're here to do a job, absolutely. They want to, but they want to know that they're trusted, that you understand that they are an adult. I keep saying that over and over again, because it really it is, is important. Yes. <laughs> and so that goes back to, I think I talked a little bit before about uh, when we were talking about if someone is being separated from the company allowing them to retain their dignity. That's part of that being an adult thing. You have to really understand that you're not here to belittle someone or make them feel badly about who they are. They are, they are working with you and you're here to help them do their best work. And if that's not happening for some reason, one reason or another, then again, figure out what the problem is, attack the problem, but don't attack the person. So, and that also is part of culture by the way. It's not that, oh, we never have any problems. La, la, la. Everything is fabulous all the time. It's when things come up, when issues arise, how do we deal with them? How do we problem solve? How do we deal with clients who are unhappy with us? All of that, your team members are seeing all of that. And 
that is formulating who they feel you are as an organization, and certainly at the top, who they feel you are. So it's really important that you kind of walk the walk and, you know, in addition to talking the talk, like you have to be consistent. And then they want to know that, again, that you understand they're a full person. So their paychecks need to show up on time. They need to have benefit. Like you can't take those things for granted because I always say, if the ABCs aren't in order, you're not going to get the XYZ. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to get that little extra something. If people are worried about, oh, my paycheck bounced, or I don't know if I'm going to get paid this week or whatever the case may be, or, oh, I was supposed to get benefits, but that didn't happen. Or And it's, it's not, you don't have to have all the benefits in the world. You don't have to pay millions of dollars for your team members. Yes, salaries are hefty these days. I get that. But it's not just about the money. It's about how you interact with them. And again, that goes back to being in integrity and doing what you say you're going to do. You have entered a relationship with this person saying, I want you to provide this service for us. I want you to engage and give us your talent. In return, we're going to give you an environment that will help you grow. And we're going to give you, by the way, some cash. And so you have to make sure that those things happen. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's it's all about, now it comes back down to trust, right? I come to work for you giving a part of me, giving not just not just a part of me, but a part of my day, a part of my intellectual property, a part of my just ability to stay awake, right? <laughs> Honestly, I get on some of these calls. I'm like, you have no idea what struggle I'm having right now. <laughs> but we do all of that with the trust of that our employer is then going to provide us what they promised, a salary, benefits if they're large enough. Right. A safe work environment, the tools and resources I need to do my job. So I think sometimes as um, business owners sometimes get a little too far removed. Right. They start out and they're like one of the the workers. They're, They're one of the worker bees. Right. But then as they mature, they they not grow distant. Right. But they grow farther away from the work because they're doing what CEOs should do. And that is manage the business, not run the business. And they kind of forget that. They kind of take that for granted. And I honestly think I'm going to go back to, I'm going to pump the idea of having your uh, policies in in a book to have the manual, because then even the employees can come back to ownership and going, hey, we have a contract. I signed your rules. Where, where is Where's the part that that comes here? So, and and that, again, that's retention, right? Retention is also just keeping that trust and staying engaged with your workforce. Exactly. And I'm going to put on my kind of, oh my goodness, she's being an HR person again. Oh, hat goody. for a second. Okay. And, I like and, this that's, Vicky. That's this Vicky's fun. That's why okay. we invited you here. To that's <laughs> right. <laughs> and just say that you mentioned that it's a contract between the two yes. entities. And so I just want to stipulate, because I love to say this out loud, so across the entire uh, nation, except unusually for the state of Montana, I'm not sure why it's Montana, but throughout the rest of the states, at-will employment is a thing, meaning that employees can leave anytime they want to. You can terminate them anytime you want to. There are some caveats around that. It doesn't really mean I showed up in a pink dress and you hate pink, so you fired me. But so so there definitely are some caveats around that. But I also want to say that in order to maintain at-will status, it is important that when you're doing something like a handbook and you're attorney will tell you this. 
when you're doing something like handbook, you have a statement in there that says this is not a contract. This does not override at will. So I like to think of handbooks as a promise to one another versus oh, an agreement a or a promise. That that works well. I like it's, that word. I promise to pay you on time. You promise that if you should I promise you that if you show up to work and you're impaired because of substances and <laughs> I tell you about that and you continue to do that, I promise that I will let you go because that's not how we work. You promise. So it's a promise from one to the other, not a contract or an agreement, but a promise. So I'm sorry, that's my little HR hat. I had to had to just slap on my head for a second. <laughs> and that's why Adam needs HR at all times. So anyway. <laughs> well, Adam does pretty well. <laughs> Adam tries, but trust me, there, there are times like, oh, oh. <laughs> But with that being said, before I confess to anything else on a, a nationally <laughs> published podcast, as we're kind of coming to to the end of today's episode, Vicki, it has been great having you on with us again. And I always have such a smile on my face when we're done talking. Oh, thank and you. Likewise. Close us, close us out with some thoughts around affinity groups. I think sometimes people think, oh, that's only for the big boys, right? That's for the, that's a Fortune 500 type of deal. It's me and... 10 people and we've got a, a metalworking shop. So why do I need an affinity group? So talk to us a little bit about that, because I think that speaks to retention, too. It does. And that that certainly is a culture builder. I will say it's a culture builder if you do it well. Mm. Oh, yeah. Say that again, please. And, and I need now I need the, the Fortune 500s to listen to that <laughs> statement, too. <laughs> yeah. Done well, it can be exceptional. It is more challenging than people think it is. It doesn't mean I'm going to, we're going to have an affinity group for all of the women executives in the organization. So we're going to put them all together and that will boom, they're an affinity group. And we do that. Oh my goodness. I see that all the time in corporate America. I was like, so you've created a club, not exactly. an affinity group. That's exactly right. What is the purpose? What is the goal? What are they going after? Is there any kind of charter or who is the leadership? Is it going to be self-led? Is there going to be like a faculty advisor, basically, <laughs> in the organization, a senior member, a member of senior management? And now we're talking about kind of a larger organization, but a member of senior management that can kind of be the standard bearer for the group. Are there things inside the organization that, again, that speak to culture that the group would like to see improved or updated or changed? And how does that information get communicated to the organization? How does the organization consider that information and then act on it? So again, is there a liaison in place? Uh, is it going to be self-led? If it's self-led, if you're going to let the members of the affinity affinity group lead the group themselves, then how is that membership? I will tell you, it is so easy. The first six months, everyone's really excited and they're showing up and they're volunteering for things and, oh, I'll be in this committee and that committee and the other committee. And then after, inevitably, you go back 18 months later and there are the same three people leading the, leading the group that started out leading the group and now it's become a little fiefdom. Like, it's not quite. Yes, it's exactly what it becomes. It's not quite as interactive as it was. It's not quite as it's taking more time for those three people because they're the only three people who are really doing anything. 
because everyone else has become disillusioned to one one extent or another. So those things, when they are done, like I said, when they're done well, they can be exceptional. And it may not be something where you put together an affinity group and it's going to last forever. Maybe there's a specific idea that you want to promote or you want to delve into or you want to know more about. So maybe it's a one-year group or a three-year group or a two-year group or a six-month group. Maybe it's not going to be a group that's in place for the next 20 years. So you can't just put it put it together and say, oh, I have an affinity group for Hispanics. I have an affinity group for African-Americans. I have an affinity group for women. I have an affinity. It's like you can and then just point to those things and say, see how great we are. We have great culture because they require nurturing. They require attention. They require real listening. And then they require action. You can't just, it's like I, I tell people when they say, oh, we'll put out a survey or we'll put out a pulse point. Well, if you're going to do that, then be prepared to take action on the results that you receive. So so it's, it's a great thing, but make sure, A, that you're very clear on what you're trying to understand or what you're trying to do or what the goal is of the group, and then very clear on how it's organized. And if they're self-managed, I always recommend that the leadership then inside the group has a regular turnover rate. So like you'll do it for six months and then we'll have new leaders from the group for another six months. So. That's that's so true because I was a part of a group and when you got elected to an office, we used to call it a life sentence. Yep. <laughs> Because you were there forever. And I I, know that's that's totally important. And I think, boy, I'm hearing you talk. And I don't know about you, Matt, but I think we might have to have part three here with Miss Vicky, because I mean, now we're starting to talk about very important things like employee engagement. And we didn't even get to talk about benefits and stuff like that when we were talking about employee retention. But these are all things that our business owners need to think about. And especially in today's day and age, I mean, she just keeps enlightening us and just makes me think, oh, yeah, we should talk about that. Oh, yeah, we should talk about that. So before you guys know it, Miss Vicki Brown is going to be a permanent part of this podcast. <laughs> oh, excellent. My secret plan is working. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's so it's so so easy to to chat with you. I I, I appreciate you indulging me uh, when I kind of go off on one of my HR tangents. But it's just it's it's such a joy to chat with you, and and I am happy to show up and do so anytime you want. We absolutely love it. And for all of our listeners to know, if you follow Vicky on LinkedIn at Vicky Brown, she frequently posts really great content in videos that you can kind of watch one at a time. You can dive into to lots of them on lots of topics related to running a superior HR practice. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> definitely, you. I mean, it's true. So definitely follow Vicky on LinkedIn. You can also follow Adam at Adam Moore and, and me at Matt Colicello. If you enjoyed this episode, please also make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Check out our previous episodes, not the least of which is, is our first episode with Vicky. And stay tuned for next time. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground. Dot io. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.